0: Well, tonight, as you can see, we're still in John 15, 4 through 11, and tonight we're going to be going and talking about being grafted in God. This is a really cool uh, lesson tonight. Matter of fact, I, I really like what God's Word has to say here. It's it's such a unique type of lesson in everything that we have here, and it has to do with trees again, and as we're getting into this, uh, let's, let's just go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll get started, okay? Father, we thank you again for this day. Lord, I thank you for this year that you have seen fit, Lord, to let us live through this entire year, um, go through another year like this. And in some cases, it's been struggles, I'm sure, for every single one of us in here. At other times, there's been times of great joy. And as we're just saying goodbye to 2014 and getting ready to say hello to 2015, we again just come to you. And Lord, I don't know what's all going on in the, the lives of the people here, but we do ask that your spirit would just speak to us tonight. It is your spirit that does the teaching. I can only just show uh, scripture verses and just talk a little bit, but it is your spirit that does the teaching, that impacts and changes people. It's nothing I do. It's what you do, oh God. And we just ask right now that your spirit would do that, that you would teach us, and in some cases, Lord, maybe even transform us in the way that you would want us to be. So we ask that you would bless our time here in Jesus' name. Amen. So yesterday, we talked about relationships, and we talked about symbiotic relationships, symbiosis. And there was three basic types. I mean, there's many more than just the three I showed you. Um, But one of them was parasitism. That's like Satan. (laughs) Um, Out to do you harm, not to do you good. Then there's commensal. And some people, as I say, like to have a relationship with God like being commensal. Like, okay, God, you do this for me, but I really don't want to do much for you. And that's not right either. No, God tells us in this passage here in John 15, verses 4 through 11, he wants us to be in a mutual relationship. In a mutual, both parties, both um, living things, if you will, coming together. They depend upon each other. They do things for each other. That's, as I said yesterday, that's like a healthy marriage. Both are working at it. And in this case, both will benefit. God benefits because he gets glory. His kingdom gets expanded because of what we get out of it. And we get eternal life out of this. And we have God walking with us through all these, uh, our trials and everything like that. And he powers us, he puts his spirit inside of us. So it's a great mutual relationship. Well tonight, let's take a look at another part of this. So let's go to our passage. Again, if you're following in scripture, um, if you're listening on the internet or whatever, As we're going to go into this, this is John 15, 4 through 11. And again, I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation. And it reads, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So that's our passage. Now, what we're going to focus on tonight has to do with Um, the beginning part of this, where it says, I am the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Now remember, Jesus is at the Last Supper. He's sitting here, his disciples are about ready to to see him for the last time for a while because he's going to go off and be crucified. So he's taking this little intimate time with his precious people, and he's teaching them the most important lessons. And this is what he's telling them. I am the vine, you're the branches. And as a result, that if we remain with God... Like a branch is attached to a trunk of a tree it can produce fruit notice the illustration i am showing you for those who are listening on the internet you can't see this of course but i have a picture here a drawing of a tree and a tree has a trunk coming up out of the ground and it's written on there is christ then you see branches and some of the branches have abundance of fruit on them and the branch that has the fruit is called the believer if we're attached to the vine we can produce fruit That's what this is all about tonight. That's what we're getting into, to produce the fruit. How do we do it? We have to stay attached. Last night, we talked about in this mutual relationship, we have to remain with God. We need to be attached to God. I'll explain what that means in a few moments here. Just to let you know, though, if we aren't remaining or connected to the trunk, Jesus said you can't do it. You can do nothing, he says. Notice he didn't say there's a few things you can't do. He says you can do nothing. That's what he actually says. You can do nothing. What does that mean and stuff? Well, let me tell you a story. This is a story. When I was, um, this goes back quite a ways, Um, back when the earth was cooling, I was about 10 years old, and um, I went down with my dad to my grandmother's house, the farm that my dad was raised on. We went down, it's about 300 miles from where we lived, and we went down to this farm. What his, his uh, object was, the objective there was to go out to the yard where he grew up as a boy and collect some trees. And he also collected some flowers, daffodils and stuff like this, the bulbs and things. But he wanted to bring those back to our house, the house that he was living in now. But he wanted to plant them in the yard, just having a part of his home. Do you understand what he's, you know, a little sentimental thing? Well, I was with him as we did this. And we walked around the, the property on this farm and he picked out... Um, two sugar maple trees, and he picked out a white oak. They were all small trees. Actually, they were only about, when we got them, um, about maybe two and a half, no, no higher than three feet high. And we, he dug them out of the ground very carefully. I helped him with this. He wrapped them in like burlap, and then he put like wet paper uh, all around it, wrapped them in plastic, and then we put them in the car, and we, we drove home, back 300 miles to our house. And then we went out into the front yard, and we planted these in the front yard. And, you know, one maple, an oak, and then a maple right along the side of the road there. And there were certain rules that we had at our house. Because my dad planted, we had quite a few trees in our front yard. Being my dad was raised on a farm, he was always growing something. And so um, I was never allowed to play uh, games and stuff in the front yard. Could play in the back, can't play in the front. Well, (laughs) one day, not too long after this all happened, Mom and dad were at work, my brother was gone, and my two sisters were gone. I was at home alone in the house. Right there, we're in trouble. Because I invited all my friends over to play baseball in the front yard. So we're all out there, and we're playing baseball, hitting the baseball all around and everything like this. Well, during the game, one of the guys was running um, after the ball or whatever, and he broke off. I'm gonna do it up here. He broke off the <laughs> thanks, Ron. <laughs> he broke off, and it came off really easy too. <laughs> he broke off the branch. <laughs> he didn't take out a pocket knife and cut it. <laughs> I can fix this. <laughs> we'll cheat. <laughs> he broke off. There we go. <laughs> The branch. Now the thing is, actually, where he broke it was only a, a few inches off the ground, not the top of the tree. Um, I wish he had done the top of the tree, but he didn't. So when this happened, um, I was like, "Oh my gosh, I am going to die!" This is. I, I remember standing there. as this, you know, the tree is just broken off and right off the, a few inches above the soil. It's just broken, and I remember standing there everybody else was, oh, it's just a treat. I was like, okay, game's over. Everybody go home. And I remember standing there contemplating all the things that my dad, an ex-Navy SEAL man, could do to me. And I thought, I am doomed. What am I going to do? I mean, the whole, the thing is just laying on the ground. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I don't know how this happened, <laughs> but actually, it's, now I look back at this, and this was an act of God. Sometime in my earlier days in school, we, I had a science teacher who told us about a thing called grafting, grafting trees and stuff. And for some reason, I can't explain how this works, but I remembered it. Now, he, he didn't have any illustrations or anything. I remember as he was just talking in class, he was describing grafting, and for some reason I was paying attention that day, and I caught it all. And so I thought, I'm going to try and fix this. So what I did is, now to to graph, what, what I had to do was to cut the tree, what's left of it. Now remember, I'm working very close to the ground, so this will be really interesting to see how this works. I went and got a really sharp knife. Now, that was really easy to do because my dad, being a seal, uh, these Navy guys, they kept knives very sh- very sharp. And um, just to let you guys know, knives are very dangerous. Boys in particular, knives are very dangerous. People have been known to do very stupid things with knives. Um, when I was in fourth grade, about a year before this happened, my dad gave me my first knife. I got it on his birthday because he got a new one. So as soon as he gave me that knife, I, he, I remember him saying, "Now, here you go, this is your knife. Um, I've taught you how to take care of it and how to be careful with it and everything. So are you going to be responsible? Oh, yeah, Dad. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. He gave me the knife. I went running down to the playground where all my friends were. And I went down there, and I said, and they're all like, oh, look what he's got. I said, yeah, look what I got, guys. And all my friends came up, and they're all like, yeah, what? wow, you got a really cool knife. I said, yeah, there are so many cool things I can do with this. I'm really good at this, too. And they said, like, what can you do with a knife? I said, watch this. Remember playing this game where you take the knife and just right in the ground and it just sinks right in and like, ooh, you know, to, to little three and, uh, or third graders, fourth graders, this, this is what's cool, you know. And they're like, ooh, cool. But one guy said, you can't do that again. I sure can. I reached down, pulled that knife back out. I said, watch this. Right down again, right into the dirt. Sunk right in, that blade right down into that that dirt. You can't do that again, he said. Oh, I sure can. Pulled it out, threw it again. You can't do it one more time. I was getting frustrated at this point, and I said, yes, I can. So I reached down, grabbed that knife, and went, I sure can, watch. Right through my foot, into the ground. Everybody stood there. No one said a word. It was absolute silence. Somewhere in the distance, a dog barked. I stood there with looking at the knife sticking through my shoe, into the ground, right through my foot, and I said, I have to go home now. <laughs> I reached down, pulled it out, and hobbled home, but I thought, if I go home, I'm going to be in trouble. So I know, go to the neighbor's house and get a Band-Aid. <laughs> so I went to the neighbor's house, knocked on the door, and... Um, Mrs. Burton, yes, Michael, do you have a Band-Aid? I got a little cut. You know, I'm standing here. I got a little cut, and um, I need a Band-Aid. Oh, sure, hold on. You okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Just, I need a Band-Aid. So she walks back, and I'm thinking, good, this is working out great. Then I heard my mother's voice. She was over there having coffee with her. <laughs> I didn't have a knife until about this time, <laughs> about a year later. But um, so knives are dangerous, folks. They're weapons, you know. Well, what you got to do is you got to cut... This, this branch. So I went in and got one of my dad's really sharp knives because I'm sure I didn't have it anymore. You're thinking, oh boy, look what he's going to do right now. <laughs> um, but you need to cut. Now notice how this cutting goes. You're trying to make like a V cut. And we're going to try and just do this. That's what my back sounds like when I get up in the morning. Um, so I've got one cut there. We're just making this really simple here. And then I'm going to just trim this. And then tomorrow morning, my son-in-law, Tom, who comes in and cleans this, can take care of all this for me, <laughs> the scraps. As so I'm making this, this little cut, now you're making a, a thing, the top part is called the, um, the Zion, the Zion, Zion is what it's called, and that's going to fit right on there. Now, you got to make it a perfect cut. So I'm sitting here, worried out of my mind, thinking how my dad is going to torture me if I don't get this set right. And so I'm just, oh my gosh, this has got to work. I don't even know if I'm doing this right. I never saw this done, and I'm just so worried. Everybody's gone. I'm there by myself. And so I just kept just whittling this thing down, trying to get it as close as I can and now I'm not going to take the time I went, because I took a lot of time, was very careful in doing this to make it the absolute perfect thing I could get it to. Anyway, you get the idea. Now, the next thing I did is I went in the house, and my mom did a lot of sewing, and I got one of her spools of black thread. So the next part was to come and stick the, sc- the scion. And I can figure out where it went now. There it is. And to put this perfectly right on there, It's gotta be a tight fit. And then I took the black thread. You're probably thinking, this really happened? This really happened, yes it did. And this is just how it was going on. (laughs) Only I'm on my knees doing this, praying, and also because um, I I just knew I'm gonna get killed. And so I just kept going around this and around this with the spool of thread. Just kept going all around it and around it and around it. And I did this using up a lot of the thread as this went around. Now, I then went, now I'm gonna cheat here, I did not do this. This is wax. What I did is I went in the house and I got some candles, and I came back out, and then I started just putting wax, melting wax all around. I'll show you what I mean in just a second. And I covered this thing with candle wax to make it as sealed as possible. Remember, we're only, it's not like I'm showing you here Um, where I'm up about, you know, three feet, four four feet or so off the ground. This was right just a few inches off the bottom. And as I get this on there like that. So the way I did it is I went in the house and got a lighter. There's a whole story there, too. I could go into what I did with the lighter one time um, in a book of matches uh, when I set my house on fire. True. And then I stood there and let the wax melt along this this, um, cut that I made here with with this whole thing. And as I covered the whole thing, I just kept letting the wax just drip all over it as it kept doing that to make a good seal. And you're thinking, oh, did this really work? Yes, believe it or not, I was very fortunate it worked. (laughs) Now, because I was very lucky (laughs) This was really close to the ground, only a few inches off the ground. The next thing I did is I took some black dirt and just rubbed all over it. And then I left it. 30 years later. My parents are not doing too good in health. And this was right before I came on staff. This actually happened. Um, my parents were, uh, I was going to move my parents down to Florida. Uh, my brother and my sisters lived in Florida. They were going to move down there from the South Chicago area. Um, and so, because of health reasons. But the last, it was the day we were moving them. The big moving truck came, loaded up all the stuff. They took off. My dad and I started walking around the yard, and we were reminiscing about things that had happened and everything throughout the time that we've lived in this house. I remember telling my dad, I said, You know, God has really blessed us. Nobody ever died in this house. Um, though they came close, he said, when you set the house on fire, that's true, Dad, but no one did die. Um, and we were talking about all sorts of things and about different things that had happened. Um, and then we came, we're, as we're walking, we ended up standing right by that tree. Now, that tree is now like about this big around. It grew sort of weird. And as we're standing there, he, stand, he said, do you remember when we planted these things? I said, yeah, Dad, I remember, I remember very well when we planted these things. And he says, well, that one over there came out perfect. The oak tree came out perfect. He says, this one must have got a disease or something. I said, why do you say that? He says, look there at the bottom. There's this big scab that goes all the way around the tree. I says, I, he said, I never could figure out what caused that, what kind of disease that was. I've never seen that before. I said, well, Dad, I can answer that for you. Oh, yeah? Now, he knows I'm a biologist. I said, and then I told him the story of what happened that day. And he was like, standing with his mouth open, are are you kidding? You grafted this tree back together and I never noticed it? And I remember him turning and looking at me and he says, well, I guess you're too big to spank now. (laughs) (laughs) But it really happened. It was the coolest thing. So once you grow it like that, I mean, the tree can be massive again. I mean, this is, it's on there. You know, this was a very very shabby, cheap job. but They use this kind of stuff quite often. There's all sorts of, of um, people who are skilled at this, um, at doing these type of, of grafting. There's all different types. That is just the simplest graft there is. There's all different types. Tree surgeons use them. Nurseries use them. Not not for kids, that's a tree nursery. Uh, like, yeah, what do they do, graph a guy's arm? I don't know. Um, but they, they use it for um, in orchards and things like this. They use graphing all the time. It's, a very, it's very old. It goes back to ancient days, and people have been using it. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but you can graph other branches onto a tree. Do you know that from other trees? You can, and they do this quite frequently. For instance, let me show you an example. Have you ever seen a tree like this? It's an apple tree, but it's got two different types of apples growing on it. In this case here, it's Golden Delicious and Macintosh, growing on the same trunk. How'd they do it? They spliced from like a Golden Delicious tree one of the branches off and grafted it onto this other apple tree. It, It gets better than that. How about this one? This is a picture of a pear tree that's got two different types of pears growing on it. They take trees, and actually many orchards, they take a tree, they cut the whole trunk off, and then they splice into the tree different branches. Now, in this case, these two examples I've shown you, they're only using two. You can literally cut off a branch of a healthy tree. You've got to get the same, as close as you can to the same type of tree. But you can take, if you've got a really good apple tree someplace, or some type of fruit tree like that, you can graph it onto yours. My dad used to do this kind of stuff. That's another reason that just blew my mind, that he... Because he would often, hey, that's a really nice fruit there on that tree. Tay said, hey, can I, have a, can I have that branch? And he would take branches and do stuff like that. He was into that kind of thing. But he didn't know I knew how to do it. And I didn't know how I was doing it. But you can actually do this. Now look at this one, as, as bizarre as this is. As seen on TV, the fruit salad tree. This is a real thing. I used to have one of these. In this case here, it's growing five different fruits. There's a peach, a nectarine, an apple, a plum, and a cherry. All grafted on one tree. Isn't that cool? They cost about $40. Um, here's another advertisement for one, the fruit salad tree. This one here has four different fruits. The way they do it, they take a branch, a broken off branch, and they actually just graft it right on. They'll cut a branch off, and then they can, if it's a good producing branch, they can graft it on. There's different ways of doing it, but they graft it on it. And as they do it, now this thing's going to produce that, the fruit that it's designed for. Not what the tree has, but what that branch is designed to do. That's how these things work. It's not that cool. Wow. And actually, this gets into the spiritual part of what we're all talking about here. Being grafted into the vine. It's, it's the neatest thing, how Jesus is talking about being attached to the vine. It's like grafting. This is like a scientific principle he's talking about. Look again at John 15, 4 and 5. Remain in me. Remember, that's like being attached. And I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now notice, I have cut off a branch. If you just go and take a branch, cut it off, and think, I know, I'll grow a new tree, and just take this branch, it's cut off, just stick it in the ground, it's not going to do it. It's going to die. Um, you can put it in a flower pot, water it every day. It's going to die. It doesn't work like that. But, but, if you attach it, if you graft it into the tree, it can get the minerals and the water it needs because it doesn't have roots, but the trunk of the other one does. And so the nourishment coming up feeds this thing, as we see with this branch I grafted on, it feeds this and keeps it going and grows and it becomes a solid feature and becomes the real part of the tree. It's adopted into it. And it does work like that. Isn't that cool? And that's what God is saying here. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Attach to me. Remain in me. The benefits of this mutualism is amazing what we can get. Because if a tree limb is cut off just like this, it can't grow. What's this good for? This would be really good to go over and throw in the fireplace over there on the side of the room because that's about what all it's good for. Branches off the trunk, they can't get nourished, they can't get water, they can't get minerals. They're useless. And as it says in the scripture there, Jesus says, they gather them up to be burned. See what happens if we're not attached? We have to get attached because that's the only way it can get nourishment. Sticking it in the ground is not going to help it. That doesn't do it. So, Jesus is telling us the same thing about ourselves. If we do not remain in Him, and remember that word remain, we learned last night, the Greek word meno means to abide, to dwell with, to be attached, if you will, we cannot be productive and fruitful for Him. He actually goes to the point of saying, You can't do anything. You can do nothing is what he says. Now, of course you can do things. Non-Christians can still do things. They can walk down the street. They can skip. They can hop. They can go to school. They can ride bicycles. They still do things. Everybody can still do things. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. In this passage, he's speaking on spiritual things, spiritual fruit. You can't produce spiritual fruit apart from me. People have tried it. It doesn't work. Some of you know I used to live in the Bahamas. I taught school in the Bahamas at a private Christian school. We had a, a guy who worked at the school. He was one of the custodians. His name was Cedric. Cedric, I don't think he's alive today because this was a long time ago. This was back in the 70s and 80s. But Cedric was a very interesting person. Nicest guy, actually, one of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life. He would do anything to help you out. But he was not a Christian. And he was vocal about it. But he followed and watched us Christians at that school all the time. And I remember all of us, many of us teachers would often talk to him, you know, why don't you give your life to Christ? Well, one day, Cedric made this decision in his mind. He said to himself, okay, I'm going to try the Christian life and see if this works. Everybody says it works for them. I'm going to see if it works for me. So he tried living, quote, quote, unquote, living the Christian life. It lasted about six weeks. And then he came up to us and he said, um, when we were talking one time, he says, Yeah, I tried that Christian life. He says, It didn't work for me. Maybe it works for you. It didn't work for me. And I'm like, Cedric, you didn't become a Christian. You tried just living it. You tried to be the branch sticking, you know, that's been cut, basically, is what I'm saying, and stuck in the ground. You're not going to be able to live like that. You're not attached to God. You're not a part of God. Just saying you're gonna try living a Christian. And people do this all the time, do they not? Many of you probably know people who have tried this. Well, I'll try living a Christian life. Oh, this is too hard. I don't like this. You know, I'm not gonna do this. and they say, oh, it doesn't work for me. They never give themselves to God. That's the problem. We can do nothing means our spiritual life. It's what Jesus is talking about. We can't do things spiritually. It's just, our power is going to run out very quickly. Oh, there are people, you know, there's people who walk around claiming to be Christians. Oh, there's a lot of them. Matter of fact, you see some on every Sunday when you go to church. Some people, they know how to dress up, look like a Christian. They'll wear Christian apparel. They'll put on Christian jewelry. They'll walk around with their Bible. They, on Sunday mornings, are very careful about the way that they speak, that they don't say something bad. They'll even put money in the offering plate. That's not what makes you a Christian. Some of them will even attend Sunday school classes or Bible clubs, Bible studies, but they're not attached. And after a while, it sort of like fizzles out. The reason it fizzles out is because they're not attached. They're not grafted in the vine. Yet they try and show this off. What I mean, let me give you another example of a story here of what I'm talking about. About a month ago, I got a message from a lady. She sent me a message through email, and she says, Michael, I need your help. My high school son, he's a senior now, and he's walking away from the Christian faith. Now, she's unmarried at this point. Um, she's a single mom with this, this boy. This high school student, I shouldn't say boy. He's a high school senior. And she said, I mean, I, we're going back and forth, and she says, yeah, he's just totally uh, the, just throwing away everything I've ever taught. You know, I've taken him to church on Sunday mornings and stuff like this. Is there any way you can talk to him I said, because they don't live anywhere near us here, I said, really, there's not much I'm going to be able to do because he's not going to listen to me. You were the best example that you could possibly be for him to be able to continue in his faith and stuff like this. And I said, because I know her, I said, let me be frank. Your walk, from what I know of you, your walk is not a real close walk with God. On Sunday mornings and stuff, yeah, you seem to be always the religious person and stuff. But then as soon as you get home from church, your language changes. When people see you during the week, you speak totally different than you do on a Sunday morning in front of other people at church. The way that you act and the things that you do, I said, you have put on a show all these years. Your son has been, has been being taught this, that your Christianity is not real. How do you expect me... To be able to fix that. Parents, I'm speaking to you right now. We have to be very, very careful for our children's sake that we don't just live a Christian life on a Sunday morning. How many people I know, a lot of them pastor's kids, I hate to say, walk away from the faith because they they see the parents saying one thing on a Sunday morning and then the next six days of the week they live a totally different life. Why should they believe? We have, as as a parent, we have a tremendous responsibility. And it's not a light responsibility. It's a difficult job. And we have to be careful. Because what often happens with a lot of people like that, they don't have any spiritual fruit. This lady I was talking about, there's no spiritual fruit going on during the week. Sunday morning you see it, but the rest of the week, she's as barren as the wilderness in the Judean desert. Her spiritual life and other people like that, there is no fruit whatsoever. Life is just barren. It's so sad. They're like Cedric, I'll try and live, but I'm not going to be attached. Do you see what they're doing? They're trying to do the relationship we talked about last night called commensal where one is getting benefit but the other one is not getting anything out of it. Like God, I'll follow you on Sunday mornings and stuff and you just feed me what I want and help me out and stuff like that and then the rest of the week I really don't want anything to do with you. I'm not going to be a parasite but I'm really not going to be attached to you either. That's a commensal. That's not what we're supposed to be. God was describing in here a mutualism. We both benefit. Many of these people are not truly living for God by God's power. A lot of people, and this can even happen with Christians, that we can try and do everything on our own. That's one reason we have a lot of burnout in churches. It's so sad that so few people in churches today are the ones doing almost all the work. There's only a handful, usually in each church, that does all the work. The rest of the people are like in a commensal relationship instead of the mutual. I challenge you. I dare you. I double dog dare you. Go out there and really let God power you. But how do you do this? How do we let God power us? How do we get into this? If we're born again Christians, how are we supposed to do it? Well, God's already put His Holy Spirit inside of you. Don't stifle it. I mean, they spend time, do they spend time with God? Is, is that what's going on? That's what we're supposed to do spend time in His Word and in prayer. A lot of you in here are married. Let me use this illustration. How well would your marriage be if you only talk to your spouse and only listen to your spouse as much as you do to God? That's a pretty hard one, isn't it? Because some people, maybe it's like five minutes on a Sunday morning. If that's all the time that you're giving into this relationship, what kind of relationship is that? That's how marriages fail. You, to, to grow spiritually, you have to get nourished. For this branch to continue to grow after being severed, it's got to get nourished from the moisture, the minerals and stuff down in the soil. It can only do that if it's attached to the trunk. You have to be attached. It's getting the nourishment. It's communicating with the plant. It's in a mutual relationship now. And folks, how do we grow spiritually? You get into the Word, you study it, and you spend time talking to God. It's a relationship. That's what we need to do. I mean, how different it can be if we spend time attached to the trunk, getting nourished by God, getting fed by God. The roots are taking in. The water, the minerals, the sugars that were stored there the year before, it's all coming up and now feeding this, and it's going to burst into fruit and stuff. Oh. But it can't do it if it's not attached. Just sitting on the ground just doesn't do it. Now, when we spend, when we spend time daily in the Word, now again, being born again, as I said last night, that's the beginning of this. So I'm talking about born-again Christians. Spending time in the Word, communicating with God. It's a relationship. God views it as a marriage. Read the Old Testament. He considered his people married to him. We can produce much fruit. Oh, man, if you are attached to God, if you are really depending upon God, letting God power you, letting God open up the spaces, like every day is a gift. God, thank you for this day you're giving me. How can I use this for you? I'm going to embarrass him, but I don't mean to embarrass him, but I'm going to tell because I think this is a great example of it. My best friend, Ron Robertson, I know many times you get up in the morning and you actually pray to God, asking God to send somebody to put him right in your path so that you can talk to him about Christ. I know you do that. A lot of us could do that. Yep. And the thing is, we could produce so much fruit that literally we could become an orchard. Jesus said, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. God will open, you think God doesn't want you to, to share the good news? Of course he does. You think God doesn't want you to read and study his word? Of course he does. You think God doesn't want you to talk to him? He, of course he does. He wants to be in this close mutual relationship. That's what he's after. And I'm telling you, if you do this, you could become an orchard. A virtual ripe orchard. Every single year, I have, in the last five or six years during summer camps, I have some college or high school student that comes up to me here because I do the Bible studies for the summer staff. And they come up to me and they say, you know, Michael, my spiritual life, I know I'm a Christian, but my spiritual life just isn't going anywhere. It's just, I'm like, I'm, I'm just stuck. What's wrong? Now, one of my first questions I usually ask is, are you, well, first of all, are you sure you're a Christian? And those of you who are wondering about that, if you've ever wondered about that, read 1 John. It only takes about 20 minutes to read it. It's a book that I'm sure was, God gave us to help reassure us of our salvation. Read 1 John. But once they say, yeah, I know I'm a Christian. Okay. Is there some sin that's blocking? Is there something you're totally doing, you know it's wrong, and you're just you're not repenting, and you're just really holding back and you're not giving that to God? And they often know that's not it either. Okay. How often... Do you listen to God and talk to God? Listening, reading his 66 love letters, talking, praying. I said it's a relationship. How close are you? And usually that's it right there. That's the problem. Yep. Here's the main thing. Just as a branch must be attached to the trunk daily to get its water and nutrients, so that it can produce fruit? We must be attached to God through his word and in prayer to produce fruit also. You see in the illustration, Jesus is the vine. We're grafted in. We're joined up. We're supposed to be communicating. We're supposed to be into each other all the time. Now, it is true that in orchards, trees are often pruned back. This is not fun. It's where you cut back plants to get them to produce more. It talked about that in this passage. Those branches that don't produce, they cut them off. So sometimes we're getting pruned. Even Christians walking close with God get pruned, even Christians get cancer. Even Christians lose jobs. Even Christians have close friends die. Even Christians have disappointments. Their dreams crushed. It does happen. If you're walking close with God, you're connected. You know what he's doing? He's pruning you. Well, why would God do that? I got another story to tell you for that one. Real short. You see, the father is the guy who's pruning. He's going around, and in pruning, he's going to prune to make sure that every branch is going to be fruitful. If you've got a branch that's not doing much, he's going to cut it off, of course. But sometimes, even healthy, good-producing trees, you still prune them. My dad also had planted in our yard. I think he might have did these with seed when we first moved there when I was born. But we had two Apple trees. They were red, delicious apples. They were the ugliest trees you ever saw in your life. I mean, man, they were pitiful looking. Um, He never did anything to them. He planted these trees in the ground. They grew into a bush that sort of looked like the top of this tree here. It was just went everywhere. It didn't look a tr- like a tree at all. It just had branches going out everywhere. It just looked like a big bush. We would get apples on there, and those apples were smaller than golf balls. They didn't taste good or anything, and our trees were always like that. I always figured these are the stupidest dumb apple trees i ever seen. You know, they're terrible. They're ugly looking. They're just big bushes. Well, one Thanksgiving, my dad said, Michael, come out with me. I want you to help me with something. We went outside, and we went up to those ugly apple trees, and he started just... he didn't have me do anything, because me and Sharp Instruments were always in trouble. So he took some some shears and just started doing this, and he just started cutting these things back. And I was like, Dad, what are you doing? You're hurting the tree. No, I'm not. Well, Dad, you're cutting off the branches. You're making it look even goofier. Well, yeah, it is going to look a little strange when I'm done here, but there's a reason I'm doing this, son. And I was like, what in the world are you doing? He says, you know the kind of apples we get on this tree? I said, yeah, those little golf ball things that taste terrible? He says, yeah. He says, the reason it's done, it's like that is because this tree's never been pruned. I go, I don't follow, Dad. He says, well, I'm not going to be able to teach you this whole thing right now. But what you're going to see, you know what this tree looks like. And he says, come next year you're going to be absolutely amazed with the way this tree looks. And when we finished, I'll tell you, I thought we had a goofy tree before. I was like, Dad, everybody's going to laugh at me, man. (laughs) What have you done? This is the goofiest looking tree. Wait till you see what happens. You know what happened the next year? We had big apples, and we had more of them, though we had less branches. The tree was concentrating its energies into the few branches it had left over to produce really good fruit. They do this in orchards. Pruning is necessary. Now, no one likes to go through pruning. But if you're going to bear fruit, good, delicious fruit for God, we get pruned. Maybe you're going through a pruning right now. It happens to all of us who are walking, even people walking close with God. We all get pruned. It's not fun. It's painful at times. But the benefits of what comes out of this, God uses this and it can be amazing. The amount of fruit by getting pruned will actually increase. The flavor of the fruit will often increase. The size of the fruit often increases if you prune it. I could not believe the next year what our plants look like. Do you remember what Jesus said? we would get if we stayed attached to the vine? He says, your joy will overflow. We're going to talk more about that tomorrow. The joy overflows. There's great benefit to it. If 2014 was a year of being pruned, all I can say is be encouraged. That apple tree got pruned, looked ugly at the end of the year. The next year, it never looked the same. It was an amazing tree. Father, we thank you so much for this time we've had here. And we just ask that you would just bless our time. Help us to remember this visual aid that you have given us. In your words, you're talking about grafting and, and into the vine and stuff. And I pray for all of us to have a real hunger. A real hunger, Lord, to spend time with you, to keep this mutual relationship that you desire and you want to have with us, that we do our part of it also, because we will benefit. You will benefit. You will be glorified. We get saved. We get joy. And we get to stay with you forever. We thank you. Bless us in these last few hours of this year in Jesus' name. Amen.